Welcome back, podcast family. In today's episode, I just wanted to follow up in regards to my interview that I did with Courtney. Um, I feel like her story hits home for a lot of people. And like I said in the previous podcast, it's something that we don't talk about. It's not being talked about enough. And today's focus, I want to dive deeper into some of the myths and truth regarding suicide. Suicide is one of the hardest topics to talk about because there's so many different opposing views. People have different experiences. People's value systems gets in the way. And really, it's just something that overall as a society, we have yet to come around and really give proper resources, give proper knowledge about. And honestly, from the professional side, it's a topic that most, sometimes even professionals don't even like to talk about or ask the questions or their own insecurities or their own biases. So I think it's important, maybe we start with the first myth that by talking about this subject, by talking about suicide or asking someone if they feel suicidal, that in some way that's going to encourage suicide attempts, whether it be that person or the people that are involved surrounding them. And obviously this is a complete myth, right? I hope that most of you listening know that factually talking about this actually provides the opportunity for someone to connect and ask for help and to really give us a greater understanding of what they're really going through. I know that talking about this, even when a client comes in suicidal to my office, it can be uncomfortable, right? How do you ask someone specifically if they are thinking or having a plan to end their life and to ask very detailed questions on what this looks like for them? But without asking, without understanding, think about it from that person's perspective. They never really get the chance to tell their story. They never really get the opportunity to communicate with you, to describe how they're feeling, or best case scenario, ask for help. One of the most prominent stories or examples that I use when I talk to people about ending their lives is the example of Robin Williams. I remember that time in my life when Robin took his own life and the news and social media and people could not get enough of talking about the reasons and trying to understand why he would make this decision. And I remember the media was talking about it of he had such a successful career and he has done all these movies and he's so funny in all of these movies. And it really stood out to me because his death, along many others, and I'm not trying to discount anyone else's um, experience with this, but Robin Williams in particular, because I think he he gives us a really good example of literally wearing that mask, right? His famous movie, Mrs. Doubtfire, was literally him hiding behind a mask because he was too afraid of his feelings and emotions. And unfortunately, I feel like that was like a segue into Robin's actual life, a feeling like he had to always play this character and be on his game and be funny and be good and rock solid and and stable when behind that mask or internally, he's falling apart. He's not okay. He feels like that broken piece of glass. And I use this example because we've also since Robin's death and throughout history, really, there has been like encouraging statements and cute little signs and and encouraging posts that really come back to say like, check on your friends, right? The the stronger they appear, the harder that they're going to fall. And as there is some truth to that, 
Yet we continue not to communicate. We continue not to check in. We continue to let our own personal values or bias get in the way of asking questions, having conversations, checking in on people. And I think that's the worst part for me that literally infuriates me is that as uncomfortable as it may be for you to sit across and hear these people answer these questions or from their side, tell their own story. Think about it from their side. Do you think they really want to be sitting in that position where they consciously have to admit that they are feeling unsafe and that they are having these terrifying thoughts? I personally do not know one person that has ever told me that they were self-harming or creating a plan to end their life, that they have been proud to tell me that, that there hasn't been emotion, deep emotion that they have shared or expressed in that conversation. It's uncomfortable. It's shameful. It's guilty. There's so many different emotions that come into that more than just your own personal bias or, or your personal discomfort. And I want that really to hit home. And, and, and as you think about this, because really truthfully, if you're not willing to put your own values or discomfort aside, then you are not able to have these conversations and communicate with the people that deep down we need to the most. And this communication for us is probably the suckiest part, right? Because we have to attempt to open up and be vulnerable and reach out and in a way, have these expectations of other people to nurture and support us and validate us when we're feeling in the lowest of lows. And sometimes we don't get that support or that love or the validation in return. Sometimes we get rejected, we get made fun of, we get dismissed, we get told that it's just a cry out for help. And honestly, those situations are probably the worst for someone who's suicidal or, or even attempting to end their life. I can speak to this very truthfully as I grew up with my dad being pretty open about his life and through some of his mental health struggles and discussing that on and off throughout his life, he has been suicidal. And I remember hearing about that and just remembering how fearful I was that when my dad was in a depressive slump, that I didn't know what I was going to come home to. And it wasn't until my senior year in high school that I really understood how low a person has to be to want to end their life. And you notice that I'm, I'm getting kind of emotional, um, partly because I'm talking about my dad, but also there was one point in my life that the only really true time that I was going to end my life and by the grace of God or the universe or my spirit guides that my dad came up and walked in on me. And I remember instead of having my one and only dad pick me up in his arms and hold me and cry with me and do something about it, he made a joke and he ended up walking out of my room and in a passive aggressively way, making fun of me and actually telling me if I'm going to be that selfish to make that choice, then I should just go ahead and do it. And I remember that moment stood out to me so much more painfully than me looking back and knowing I was going to make a decision that could impact others and, and potentially for me not to be here today. But it was the fact that my own dad, someone who I think the world of, who is my hero, couldn't give me the support that I needed and couldn't see that I was in so much pain that I was consciously making this decision and for his response to laugh about it and to let me sit there for the next half hour 
hour, however long it was, crying. And I say sobbing on the bathroom floor. Because at that point, it was almost like, well, I failed my dad. I disappointed him. He caught me. I couldn't even do this. And my, I know my example is not as extreme as other people out there that are listening or maybe other people's stories that, that suicide is impacted. But I think it's important to use this example, hopefully for you to relate to, that I hear you when I see, when you say that some people just don't listen, some people don't understand. And this leads me into kind of another myth that we talk about, right? Is that when people talk about suicide being a an act of attention or or that it's just a behavior in order to seek out attention from parents or from a partner. And in a way, I'm going to tell you I agree with that, but not in the way that it's intended, right? Factually, a suicide attempt or someone thinking about this plan is a cry out for attention. It's a plea for help. And, and it doesn't really matter in my eyes how intense you think it is because ultimately that it's a dangerous situation that really ultimately can lead to the progression of an actual suicide success. And so if you're listening to this and you're you're thinking about your kids or someone that maybe you relate to that you're just like, yeah, it's a cry for attention. They do this every other week. They just do it because I they they get punished or they don't listen to me or they have to do chores. Well, in a way it is. It is an act, a plea a cry out for attention, for someone to listen, for someone to desperately swoop that person in their arms and just be there with them. Be that support, be that listening ear that they feel like they don't have. And as I previously have mentioned in my conversation with Courtney, you can't fix it for that person, but you sure as hell can make it better. You can give them resources. You can give them a hug. You can ask questions. And ultimately, that's all someone needs when they're in this stage. And one of the worst things that you can do if you are that supportive person is not listen, is to make a joke, is to tell them what they're feeling isn't true. And if you are that person that's responding that way, I'm going to highly encourage you to reframe your questions, to sit with yourself for a moment before you respond and ask yourself what that person in front of you is deeply needing. Sometimes we forget that people's life experiences lead them to different directions in their own life. And so when you have a person in front of you in in the most fragile, helpless, depressed, dark position they can be in their life, and in that cry out for help, is pleading with anybody to listen and pleading for anyone to give a damn. It is not your responsibility to tell them what they need to do, right? For you in your life, you may have different resiliency factors. You may have different supports. You may have different resources. So what works for you or what you should, what you think they should do may not be applicable in that person's life. They may not have the knowledge They may not have the experience. They may not have the resources. They may not have the people around them to support them and love them the way that you do. So it's our responsibility to keep ourselves in check, to not make others' mental health journey about yours, but really to be there and and let that person be the own voice of their own story. 
And that doesn't mean I'm not trying to take away the impact, the emotions, the depression, the effects that come from those that choose to end their own life. I understand that that affects many people on various different levels. And just as much as that person who is hurting, their emotions matter. So do yours. Absolutely. We're talking about in that moment that someone is being vulnerable and raw. Don't make it about you. Sit there and listen and try to ask questions that support their story, that support their words, that you're able to fully see their life from their perspective, not from yours, not from the blinders that you have had from your own life. So another myth in regards to suicide is that sometimes we assume suicide attempts happen without warning. And as Courtney kind of mentioned, there were factors leading up to her dad's death that her family kind of recognized or they saw that there was maybe deeper meaning behind. They maybe There weren't actions that maybe led them to say, yes, my dad is going to do this, but there were certain things happening that could be, in a sense, those warning signs. One of them is previous attempts. So if you know someone or you've had experience with someone who has attempted over and over and over and over again, chances are they they are going to con- continue to try until they either have a successful completion or until they're able to get the appropriate help that they need. And going off of this, there is a myth that people believe that if a person attempts suicide and survives, that they will never make a further attempt or a future attempt. This is a myth, and factually, we know that one suicide attempt is actually a large indicator in their future attempts. So if you have someone close to you that has attempted or or that has disclosed to you of possible actions or plans, take it seriously. Have a conversation. What does that plan entail? What are those thoughts like for them? Again, recognizing what level of danger they're in and more than anything, if they're not willing to disclose maybe some of the details or, or specifics, then it is your responsibility to sit there and at least provide that support. Take them to a therapist, give them a support group, spend a day with them, send them their favorite flowers, whatever you need to do to really rely on the fact that you are a support, that you are that person that they can call on just so they don't feel alone. One of the biggest myths surrounding suicide that I really just can't stand is when people tell me only certain types of people are suicidal or suicide's hereditary. They kind of go hand in hand for me. There's evidence to show that yes, there are certain people that are predisposed to higher chances or likelihood of suicide attempts, yes. But that doesn't mean that suicide fits a certain type of person or or sexual identity, or gender identity. Suicide can affect any gender, any sexual identity, at any stage of life. It doesn't take a particular type of person or a broken person to be impacted by this. And it's not something that you should just look at kind of generational trauma or generational attempts and assume that because your friends or your dad's dad attempt like attempted or completed suicide that you're going to fall within that. But It's something that I'm seeing more and more is suicide within families. The the numbers are kind of astonishing of how fast that generational trauma is kind of increasing. Um, I speak personally off of my caseload right now. 
I have quite a bit of clients that are all coming in because they have had siblings and parents or grandparents that within the last couple of years have been affected and, and by those that have taken their lives. And, and this goes back to, you know, in a way, the facts that saying that if it, if there are other people or one of the warning signs that there has been a recent suicide or death from a friend or relative, it increases those chances. Absolutely. I mean, Courtney, I think is a perfect example, right? Her, her dad chose to end his life and yeah, it was not talked about, right? Courtney has gone through her roller coaster of emotions and dealing with her own depressive episodes and her own self-harm and suicide thoughts, right? When you, when you have something like this, that's not talked about, that's not being in a sense, destigmatized, where does that leave a person? It leaves a person feeling lonely, alone, isolated. It feels like, you know, especially in Courtney's case, if, if, if she can't have a discussion with her mom and sister, and that can't be kind of, in a sense, normalized within the family to at least talk about the process, talk about the emotions, talking about the, the heartbreak that they're all going through. Where does that leave a person? Right. Luckily, Courtney has been over has been able to overcome it and maintain her resiliency and survive. But what about those out there that haven't? What about those family members that are truthfully struggling because they've lost a member of their family that they genuinely feel like they can't move on without? It's very real. It happens more often than we think. And I think that's the the sad but scariest part of this. And maybe that's what we need to look at and focus on for just a moment. So right now, today, on average, there is an estimated 130 suicide completions happening every single day. From 1999 to 2018, the suicide rate rose drastically by 35%. And it's about 14.2 people per 100,000. In 2020, the number of suicides was estimated about 46,000 deaths by suicide, which made it the 12th leading cause of death in the U.S., which doesn't seem like very many people, but when you look at the higher, when you look at higher numbers, in 2020, there was also an estimated 1.2 million suicide attempts. And that's just, again, what was reported. And I think that's one thing I, when I ever, whenever I talk about statistics, I always talk about what has been reported. That's not to say the people that haven't talked about it, haven't disclosed it. It didn't get reported to higher officials. They didn't go to the hospital, any of the more intensive care that should have been happening. That's just numbers that we have that was reported. And going off of that, I just want to also say like, if you talk about your suicide thoughts or plans or self-harming, one, it does not make you crazy. Two, it does not mean you're going to end up in the quote-unquote loony bin. And three, it does not mean that you are going to be immediately sent into the hospital. Personally, there are other people besides professionals that you're able to talk to about this. There are other people that are able to give you the emotional support. And for a lot of people, when they first come out disclosing their suicidal thoughts, they disclose it and they rely heavily on family and friends providing that feedback, providing that support before they even take it to that next professional. 
And when, if that person's able to have a therapist or disclose it, or even potentially go to the hospital, they, you know, it it doesn't always have to be like a movie where you're just going to be locked up in a room, medicated, isolated, and dissociated for a few days. It doesn't have to be like that. And, and the way that we kind of counteract that is you have discussions. If you were that friend or family member, you, you ask questions you further the discussions and you make sure that if they need to go to the hospital or, or seek out those higher levels of care, that you do so from the people who are adequately trained to help someone and to be that support from them. And unfortunately, there's a lot of statistics that show that most people thinking about suicide actually never seek or ask help with their problems. I think some of this is because they are fearful of people's responses it's shame holding them back, it's negative beliefs, and ultimately it comes down to a fear of being thrown into the loony bin or thrown into the hospital without having a discussion about it. And so I think that this is important to focus on in the sense that most people are thinking about this, yet fearful to use their voices and and talk about it. And so if you are ever that person that somebody comes to and says, hey, I'm really struggling, this is what I'm thinking about, you sometimes I think that we freeze because when these harder topics come up, we don't know how to respond. We don't know what's quote unquote appropriate and what's not. One piece of advice, ask questions. It is okay to tell them, hey, this makes me uncomfortable, but I'm so glad that you came to me. Hey, I'm inexperienced with this, but I would love to talk to you about it. Do you mind sharing with what you're going through? Or, hey, thank you for telling me. It must be really hard for you. This is kind of something I've never been told before. I've never had experience with, but I would love it if you would sit down with me and tell me more about what you're going through. How easy are those questions? It doesn't take a skill set. It doesn't take you learning a new language. It takes certain questions of you just sitting down and being that listening ear for someone. The other thing is, I think with, with this topic, we assume that other people are going to be defensive or resistive to the the help that we're offering or the ideas that maybe we're offering. Well, first I'm going to put you in check and say, A, are you being a problem solver and you're trying to step in and be that person's hero? Or two, are you being that person who needs to just support, listen, and help? If you're the first, there's your first problem. Do not be a fix it. Do not be a fixer. I understand that when these conversations come up, it instantly sends you into this panic and almost in a sense like your own fight or flight response. I hear you. I know what that's like. Sometimes it's depending on the intensity of the conversation, it's uncomfortable and it sometimes can scare that person who's listening, but you don't have to react. You just have to take some deep breaths, sit with them, validate them that you're a safe person they can talk to about this and really at the end of the day, help them prepare for help or give them appropriate resources to where they can go talk to about this more. I'll tell you the biggest fear coming from that suicidal person's perspective, they're not reaching out because they're so fearful of being a burden in your life. There's so many conversations that I've had where it's been, well, you know, I'll ask, for example, have you told your wife about this? Have you told your sister well, no, they just have so much going on in their life and they're busy with work and they have three kids and they don't have time to listen to me. I don't care, right? You're not a burden if you're picking up the phone and saying, I need five minutes of your time to really talk me off this ledge, 
to have someone listen to, to make sure that I need to be validated, that you're here for me, that if I needed you, I can cry or I can vent or I can be angry with and just for someone to listen. But the second that we dismiss them, the second that we make those jokes, the second that we make that person feel like they're an emotional burden, they're going to question themselves and they're going to run away and they're never going to disclose it again. Now, is it that your fault? No, but if a person has the humility, the courage, the genuineness to come to you and ask for help, do not just brush them off. Take five minutes and try to have a conversation with them. The other factor I think that we get, and this kind of goes back to my hospital example, is that some people, and this is, I'll be honest, is more of like an old school mentality, but some people believe that people who think about suicide are insane or mentally ill and that they should be classified as having a mood disorder. Well, I, I like I said, some of this I know statistically reports back to just the lack of knowledge that we have towards the DSM and previous diagnoses. We've come a long way with that. And so I think some of those stigmas have gone away, but I do know a lot of people who are naive to this topic and that are very resistive to suicide conversations that they genuinely believe that if somebody can get to the state of thinking about taking their life, that they're crazy or that they have this mood disorder that has to be medicated and only treated by medication for the rest of their life. And unfortunately, that's not true. Typically, a person who is suicidal doesn't actually want to end their life. They just want to end their pain they're going through. So look at it from that perspective that no one's crazy, right? I joke all the time that we all have skeletons in the closet. We all have our own shit that we're going through. We all have better days. We have worse days. We have crazy days. We all are human and life hits us in different directions of life at different times. Just because you're going through something and if you've ever been suicidal or you've experienced something like this in your life, it doesn't mean that necessarily you, you're crazy or broken or that you have to be classified as this mood disorder. It means that you're struggling. It means that you're having some type of mental illness and that you need to talk about it. You need to get the adequate help, but in no way, shape or form should you be classified as insane or crazy or that you again need to be locked up in a hospital. And this last myth kind of brings me to some of my final points here is there's a myth that every death is preventable. And unfortunately, that's not true. No matter how well intended, how diligent or supportive a person's effort may be, there's really no 100% effective way of preventing all suicides from occurring. And those of you that are listening to this, if you've been affected by someone in your life who has ended their life, it's okay to feel anger. It's okay to feel rage and resentment. It's also okay to grieve and have compassion. You are going to go through many mixed emotions in this process, and it's going to feel very confusing because you're all over the board with your emotions, and you're going to probably compare yourself to other family members that look like they have their lives together or that they're just trucking forward or that they've forgotten about this person. And I'm here to tell you, everyone's life is different. Everyone processes grief differently. If you need to process and really come in tune with your emotions, then do it. Don't just pick up life and move forward because everyone around you seems to be. There, I briefly mentioned this in my interview with Courtney, that something like this is not 
it's not just a grieving process that you're going through to, to process the loss of that person. Typically when it's death by suicide, you have an, a factor of trauma here that has to be looked at. And, and depending on the intensity of the situation or that traumatic event depends on the intensity of how much you have to process. And then you have the grief, grief side of it where you have to mourn and be comfortable with missing that person and going through the stages of grief in that regards. There's no clean cut way to do this. There is no manual that I can give you that's going to make it easier. And there's no timeline you have to be on. I know it's very cliche therapy, but everyone grieves differently. Everyone processes differently. So just because maybe the death happened within the same family doesn't mean that you and your sister or you and your mom or you and your partner have to grieve on the same level or on the same degree. You grieve how you need to. Don't let anyone tell you to do it differently. And I think also with this, speak up, use your voice. I think that shame when we've had someone in our lives, especially if it's someone really close to us that have chosen to end their life by suicide, we have this kind of conflicting, we have this conflicting view on how we can talk about it, right? If we talk about the anger we have and how we were impacted by their death and how how their choices impacted us, there's a part of us that kind of feels icky with that because we may be considered selfish or that we, you know, don't, we don't, we don't miss them because we're so full of anger and hatred or negative emotions toward them that we're not quite ready to grieve them. And then on the other hand, you're heartbroken and you're lonely and you just feel like you can't move on without them. And you're not quite sure which direction to feel. I'm here to tell you, feel both of them. You get to have both of those feelings. It does not have to be a but. You don't have to be angry, but this. No, you can be angry and sad. It doesn't have to be a justification. It doesn't have to be, I'm angry, but I know I'll be okay. Yeah, sure. We all know you're going to be okay. You're resilient. You're a badass. You're worthy. You're going to overcome this. You can be both. You can be angry and you can be in, in misery. You can be resentful. You can have this negative emotion that fuels you and and fills you with kind of the sense of rage. And you can be mourning and heartbroken and, and desperate because you miss them so terribly. You get to be more than one emotion at once. You also get to have different perspectives on someone else's death. It's not easy. And you're really not going to understand. I think that that's kind of a twisted part in how we try and heal when when we've had something like this happen, right? And, and in this comparison, suicide is really no different than like a tragic accident, right? The logical side of our brain steps in to kind of prepare ourselves or protect ourselves by assuming that we are going to find closure or overcome this topic if we just have the answers to our questions. If we just have all of the details told to us, then we can make peace with this. But it doesn't happen like that, right? Just because maybe you even see the video of the car accident that, that you know, unexpectedly happened, that's not going to like make your, your person be missed any less. It's not going to make it okay that they're gone. If anything, it's probably just going to rage you more or make you more emotional. So I'm going to really encourage you, stop asking the questions why and stop trying to nitpick every detail to logically make you feel better. Look at the situation, 
look at it for what it is saying that, yes, this happened. I'm here in this moment. What is my story to tell? How am I going to move forward with these emotions that I feel? I recently had a conversation kind of in regards to this, where it was this person's sister that unexpectedly passed away. And she and I had a conversation where she felt like she couldn't emotionally process or tell her side of the story or tell how it's impacted her because it needs to be about her sister. And anyone who talks about it always talks, you know, kind of like remembers and that nostalgia of her sister. But when it comes to her and her emotions, she feels very passionate about having her voice and using it and sharing it with her family. And I encourage her to do so. Just because someone's gone doesn't mean your story is less significant. Just because someone leaves by suicide or accident, or, or if you're just listening to this and it's just a loss, just because that person's gone doesn't mean that you don't have a story to tell that matters. Just because they're gone doesn't mean that you can't have emotions towards them, good, bad, and ugly. Your story your opinion, your perspective absolutely matters in this. So to wrap things up, I really am just going to circle back around to this is this is real. This is something that's impacting more and more families and communities than I wish I could admit. And unfortunately, this is something that I think we're going to see and talk about more and more. So please be a listening ear. Please don't be afraid to ask questions. And if you are listening to this and you are finding yourself suicidal, use your voice. Use your support people. I always tell people, even the people you think are not going to care will surprise you and will show up for you in ways that you can't even imagine. So if you're out there and you're having some of these thoughts or you're sitting here and and maybe having this awful plan that you're making, stop. Reach out for help. Use people that you can lean on and rely on. And if you're that listening ear, if you're that person lucky enough or that that hurting person to come to, sit, listen, and ask questions. Do not solve. Do not try and fix. Be there with them in that moment. Give them a hug. Talk them through it. Understand from their perspective what they're trying to express to you and what they're going through. Do not try and give them logic. Do not try and talk them out of it by logical reasoning. Remember when someone is suicidal, it's no different than someone being in a state of crisis, right? That fight or flight response is very, very, very real. When you're in that state of crisis mentally, your brain has no logical reasoning. So it's not going to hear the A plus B equals C mentality. Your brain is only going to hear impulsive thoughts and negative beliefs and insecurities. So sit there. Hug them, wrap yourself up with that person, sit down with them, cry with them, turn on their favorite song, let them be grounded, let them find their safety, let them find, in a sense, their own voice to tell you what's happening. I promise you that that can make someone's day. So I'm going to leave you with the challenge this week. I want you to reach out to someone, at least one person, every single day, who you know is either struggling or that you don't know and check in on them. Check on the people like Robin Williams who appear to be the strongest, most stable people in your life. Check on the people that you know are the weakest and most unstable. 
reach out your hand, give them your love, take them a freaking bowl of ice cream, do something to let them know they are loved, they are supported, and they are not alone. You never know whose life you could be saving. I appreciate all of you for taking the time for this. I am going to put a few more resources in the description of this podcast. And for any of you out there, if you need me as that support or that venting ear, send me an email, find me on social media. You can follow me on Instagram at at worthywithrhonda. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'll be here. I'm here to listen. I'm here to share your story. I'm here to help you through this process. (music) 